fair to say you simply flooded the system with money? Yes, we did. That's another way to think about it. We did. Where does it come from? Do you just print it? We print it digitally. So we, you know, we, as a central bank, we have the ability to create money. 600000 doesn't seem like that much to possibly lose. Why do you care about getting your money back? My mother taught me something. If you ever disrespect money, you won't have any. It's karma. I, every dollar I make, I kill myself to make it, and I don't want to lose it. I have never had less than 80% of my money in American business. You can call them stocks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 66 of Pounding the Table. And just like Route 66, we are digesting the news all throughout the country and throughout the globe, sharing our thoughts on all of the news and how it impacts the markets. We had a pretty insane week all around on a global level. Sad news with the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated just yesterday, bringing even more pain to Japan. And across the pond, they are doing a complete overall with over 60 members of the British Parliament quit the government, with the Prime Minister Boris Johnson resigning also yesterday. Things are getting crazy in the Netherlands. If you guys just go on Twitter, Google Netherlands farmers, there's some things happening. Macedonia, Ecuador, Pakistan, all are having unrest and increased gas and food prices. And Sri Lanka completely has collapsed. Their prime minister just came out and said the country's 100% bankrupt. So things are getting crazy to say the least. It's almost like the world needs a, a great reset, Tony. Before we get started, a huge shout out, as always, to our sponsors over at StockTwits, our favorite place to see what is happening with our favorite ticker symbols. Tons of fun banter, lots of great content. So come on over, join us in the conversation with StockTwits.com. And Tony, we are starting off with crypto and growth stocks. So I'll kick it to you for the trending tickers of the week. Let's get it, Avi. Always happy to be back. I feel like we're getting more and more in the lab all the time now, especially with Joey around. So very hyped. As always, let's kick it off with these trending tickers though. So Bitcoin is at the top of the list of what was really being talked about this week. And I think it has a lot to do with, you know, a couple of different factors. I'd say SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, like just coming in from FTX and just starting to just bail people out. Yeah, two billion and they're selling back He's like, yeah, we got another two billion. And I'm sure he has more to throw into companies that are distressed and that he thinks are like in the long run going to be, you know, sustainable, good companies. And he's like going up to people, turning away deals, just people knocking on his door all day long. I saw a really cool interview. So definitely talk about that later. But I think that shows that the crypto space like has people finally defending it. Whereas like in 2017, 2018, no one cared. Like nobody was there. But now you've got some bigger players here. The narrative starts to shift in whoever is kind of controlling the power of the movement of the coins there. We've got this 20K level consistently being defended. ETH starting to bounce. It, it hit those levels, sub 1,000 for ETH and sub 20K. I posted this chart like a few weeks back on Pounding the Table's handle. I think I did it last week as well of ARC. And it's just been holding up better while the rest of the general markets like get crushed. And, you know, it's just been basing between this like 37, 46 range and this is the first week we started seeing like some actual breakouts over that and runs past that more than a couple cents that just wick back down 10% the same day. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the quality names, like a lot of the, so I'm glad we mentioned software like the last few weeks, because like those are the first things that are starting to show that some names are acting stronger, not in no way saying bottom this, bottom that, but relative strength in a market like this is pretty telling, especially with the data we're going to get into on the macro soon. I saw XBI was up 13%. I know she's got some biotech in there, but what are her top holdings right now with Kathy? I've got Kathy's top holdings of ARK pulled up right now. So top 10 in order goes Zoom Video, Tesla, Roku, 
CRISPR Therapeutics, Teladoc, UiPath, Exact Sciences, and Teletherapeutics, Block, and Twilio. So yeah, you could definitely see the genomics in there. So it plays kind of right into that XBI playbook, which is the spider ETF for biotech. And those top holdings go, I think it's Novavax, Twist Biosciences, Beam Therapeutics, Fate Therapeutics, and so on. So yeah, you know, the, the rebound in high growth tech has been somewhat nice. And I don't even want to call it a rebound. You know, this little bounce that we've been uh, seeing of late. Little bounce. We, we've been talking a lot, you know, these bear market rallies that are very common in these sustained downturns. So we've had a couple of good days. It feels like, I mean, even like a week or two of seeing green more so than red. And that's been a nice change of pace that, you know, what we've seen since November. But, you know, even with the SPY trending, you can see, yeah, people are, are trying to get excited and they want to be like, you know, we have reached a bottom. And that's, you know, all I even hear on CNBC, people saying, oh, you know, was this a bottom? Was this the bottom? And as much as I want to say yes and, and believe that we are going to have this sustained rally, there's still so many factors working against us. And you kind of notice some at the top of the show, it's like global turmoil and just unrest across the globe that it's just not something where I can definitively say things are getting better. And speaking of unrest, shareholders of Upstart just got another string of bad news and another beatdown as the company came out and released its second quarter 2022 preliminary unaudited financial results, came out saying that they expect revenue of $228 million, which is significantly less than their previously guided revenue of 295 to 305 million. And it just kind of shows that even as rates are rising, you know, there could be less demand for, you know, the loans that they help originate. It's just something, I guess they didn't know it was going to be as bad as it gotten. And so they start saying inflation and recession fears have driven interest rates up and put banks and capital markets on cautious footing. Well, we all knew that. I think all of us have known that for a very long time. So I find it surprising that they were surprised by just how bad business has been of late. Sorry, I, I didn't want to cut you off. I had a oh, no, you're good. What do they do, Joey? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, and that, this would be the perfect time. It's this. I know. Oh, right now, that's so mean. Upstart, <laughs> no. That is one. So, well, Upstart's up about 25% just in four days. Uh, that That's a, that's a, a good-looking uh, name. Uh, very powerful and very strong earnings. These stocks are What do they do? Really I don't well. even know them. What do they do? Uh, excuse me? What does Upstart do? Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. What kind of company is it? Yeah, I'm not, you're, you're breaking up. For real, uh, what, I actually don't know what they do. Oh yeah, that, that was good. Okay, so Upstart essentially, what they try to say is, you know, you're more than your credit score when it comes to trying to obtain a loan. So they have this artificial intelligence-based lending system that they partner with credit unions and other smaller banks to basically use more than just a credit score, all these other factors that determine the credit worthiness of a person and try to match them with a loan. You know, someone that wouldn't usually get approved by say a traditional large bank. Hmm. So one of the big things that came into question is it almost seems like, okay, so they're this software that is used by a credit union or small bank. Well, that's cool. It's almost like, you know, software as a service, very high margin, nothing on the balance sheet. But then it came out, you know, some of these loans are actually held on their balance sheet and 
you could see this whole interview with Jim Cramer talking about Upstart because he's followed it for a very long time. And even he's like, wow, I, I didn't know some of these were held on the balance sheet. And, you know, in, in tough times, it's the people that would be deemed uncreditworthy that will not be repaying loans. So it, it comes to the question of uh, how much of what they're holding, does that mean that their partners did not want to hold that debt? Yeah, there's all these variables that come in and all these questions that get asked, you know, like how toxic could this debt possibly be? Could it put their business at risk? And it's it's just not a good look for for a company that was such a high flyer. And you, yeah. you know, you kind of teased, you know, when it was upper three hundreds and you know, everybody and anybody was buying it, even though they had no idea what it was. And I think the the best answer, you know, if you're ever chasing a trade and you don't know what a company does, just say, like, listen, I'm chasing the momentum. You know, all I hear about is this stock. Everybody's talking about like there, there's a rationale behind chasing momentum where you don't have to know the ins and outs of a company. It's not my style that I like to do. And I know certain people kind of get grilled for completely bombing a question or, you know, not being able to answer what a company does. But it's like I wouldn't, you know, completely stamp the reputation by, you know. No, of course not. I'd go on that dude's yacht. He's much richer than I am. So <laughs> it's <laughs> He's a good. good dude. Yeah, exactly. He just handled it poorly. If he just said, dude, I don't know. I was chasing momentum is what it is. So like that was the answer to give because that's what oh, we, we've all done it before. I mean, yeah. I've owned countless stocks where I come back and I learn more about it, especially the trade works out because, you know, we all fall guilty to the never turn a trade into investment. But if it performs so well, you, you just don't want to let go. And then you kind of backpedal into it like, OK, well, maybe I should learn what these guys do, or maybe I should learn why I should maybe want to own this for the long term or why I was right. Keep this yeah. as a trade and run away. GameStop, you know, they approved their four for one stock split. Not entirely sure when that's coming up, but, you know, it's just another move for them to, you know, listen to the retail investor. They love stock splits. You know, they love having these stocks go from, I think it's around 125 a share. So you divide that by four and that's going to be the new share price post split. And so... You see that they understand, you know, what these retail investors want. They continue to give it to them. And so I know a lot of people knock, you know, how could you own GameStop? It's like, you know, Blockbuster back in the day, but it's not. You know, their financials aren't nearly as bad as Blockbuster was. And it's funny. I, I know a lot of gamers and a lot of them say, you know, if you need something, you can't wait for Amazon to deliver, even if it's like, you know, you could get it same day by 10 p.m. or something like that. They go to GameStop or they'll go to Best Buy to get it. So you could I love GameStop. Stores. Tony loves GameStop too. So like you can see where these stores could have some staying power. And, you know, it's not, I think it, they actually have a decent business. And if they could figure out some way to become like, again, the go-to for all gamers worldwide, then who knows what this company could actually do. Can Netflix buy them or no? I mean, if they wanted to go in. I don't, I don't know if they have enough I got, cash. I, I, have, I have to break out this like crazy tin hat thread on GameStop that like, I, someone on Twitter sent this to me and it, yeah, they talked about this. If you, I, I, uh, I really got to find it. Like I'm going to make a note right now to like, go look it up. Cause it's actually one of the most obscene things ever. And we could just do an entire episode on it. Cause like it's it pretty, pretty prediction of Elon Musk fake buying Twitter or not. It, it's been pretty spot on for like the last year, man. I yeah, say, and that was a good one, Avi. <laughs> if, an, if a CEO wants a way to unload billions of dollars of a stock that said that they would never sell, make an acquisition that then doesn't work out. You right. sold all the stock and hey, look at, look at Tesla after hours. Yeah, It's, it's Super funny. Fun. I mean, I don't think Elon would do that because I think he, he literally, like he wanted to own that platform, especially to make sure 
like no one can influence the upcoming midterms or the election after that. All right, guys, we got to get back to stocks. Tony, what is going on with oil? You were showing me some wild graphs before the show about the 10 year. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things going on right now. And like you're seeing it more so in like credit markets and you're seeing it in commodities a lot recently. So, you know, like we, it's not surprising to me at all that USO was trending on like stock twits. USO is just basically like ETF for if you want to like play oil, you trade USO. But leads me to this whole section I want to like have right now on data, because I think a lot of people are questioning when are things going to like get better? How can things get worse? Like, what are you looking at? Like, I'm looking at yields, number one, like the 10 year yield and like the five year and the two year. And I'm looking at oil commodities, just like in general, like I want to make sure that the stuff that goes into things that lead into inflation in general, and that's obviously commodities, like build stuff that you buy and do. So that needs to start coming down for inflation to actually start coming down. Rates need to start coming down. And like you're seeing housing starting to be much more supplied across the country, which is another indicator that things were getting so out of price that people were not able to afford to buy that house or get the mortgage at the rates for that house. Because not everyone qualifies for those nice fixed mortgages. And if you've got a fixed mortgage right now, like you probably want a variable if you're trying to get a mortgage right now. So it's a lot of different factors right now that all lead into inflation. And that's like what everyone's watching. And people are usually waiting for things to get better when the Fed comes out and it's like, okay, we're going to ease or okay, like we're done tapering and this and that. Those are important things to consider for sure. But the Fed's going to make those decisions based off of data. So like I've been watching the data more and more as yields go lower, like rates go lower, oil and other commodities don't go higher from here. Like it'll definitely have a lag. Commodities always do. And we'll see how that goes. But, you know, as long as they don't continue to just stay way higher in general, just watching big markets like real estate, because it looks like the crashes are going through cycles, right? Like it went from the riskiest asset back in February of last year. Now housing's starting to get hit across the country. Speaking of housing, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Michael Burry. He's back at it, tweeting again about the housing markets. What is this bullish ripper or bullwhip effect you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, Burry is coming out now. Like he's saying a lot of different things. He's deactivating his Twitter every other day, but got to give Mance credit where it's due. Like he did good in 2008 and he's, you know, done pretty good in the last like six to 12 months. And so, you know, knowing him as like a big macro follower, he like he definitely gets in the weeds. Like I listen to what he says because you just, you never know. You want to know what the dude who was one of the only people who called the housing crisis and profited a lot from it, what he's thinking. So he's talking about this like bullwhip effect. And that's basically like the deflationary effects of retail holding way too much inventory. And so prices start to just cascade lower, right? Like people buy so many things because they're selling at such high prices. People are like not able to afford those things because prices get so high. Stores get inventory, stores have to cut prices and things just like find a natural market in the conditions of the world, right? Like time heals, all things, usually things don't get 100% bad. So he was kind of saying that he thinks inflation is going to chill, but I also saw a tweet like two weeks ago. He's like, inflation is going to explode and be just like a long-term factor. And I can see that in like the fact of what I was saying with commodities of them being a lagging effect, right? Like it takes time for those prices to start like showing lower. Um, but the Fed, once again, will continue to watch that. And I think that like the data will have to show a few times of a positive trend before the Fed says anything. Because if they just come out and they're like, oh yeah, like things are, good. yeah, don't worry about it. Like we're not going to taper. We'll just do passive and like, yeah, we'll still net buy stuff. People are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? It has to be this way. It has to be because we see this happening in the data, we will now act this way. And they've done a great job of demand destruction crashing it every single time things are ripping and using those rallies to continue to be more hawkish. And I think that markets are going to figure themselves out in the next three months. And 
bottom will come before the Fed does anything. Joey, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, more of kind of like the investor side of things. And, and I'm super excited, Tony, to jump into options trading again, because as we used to say, we're a stock options and, and news podcast, and we kind of left out the options piece. So incorporating that a lot more, but how do you look at these Fed meetings? Do you look at them with as much diligence as Tony does? I mean, I'm always paying attention. I always like to see, I'm more interested in the actual meeting that you can you know, listen in on and hear the commentary hear what these people are saying, you know, what their outlook is and what they see as like the major factors on the horizon for the economy. It's almost been comical because they couldn't be more wrong for like six months straight. I think Tony touched on this, you know, every inflation was transitory was like the huge thing for the longest time. And, you know, just how, how their commentary changes, how the stances change overnight, where it's like, in no way is 75 basis points even on the table. And then the next meeting, we're up 75 basis points. There it is. It's just, you know, I, I would like to say, you know, I, I, I trust a lot of the people that run, you know, certain, I guess, large branches of government or, you know, the bed and all this stuff. I'd like to say we've got like the smartest people at the helm. And I just, I have zero confidence in like all leadership. It's just insane. Really, come on over and, the tin hat bill, man. <laughs> it's not, it's not even, it's not even a tin hat thing. It's just observations. Yeah. And just I'm like, and just like logic, like, what are we doing? Oh, what are we doing guys? What are we doing? Dude, you say California, California is like, yeah, inflation's bad. Here's money. Bro, what? <laughs> well, They're confusing people on purpose. It's chaos. Like, yeah. So inflation is an issue because, you know, money just continues to get printed while other issues are going on. So what are we, hey, let's print money and just give it to people. That'll make inflation better. It's kind of like, you know, the the little stimulus checks during what they call stimmies during the pandemic. It's like, hey, yeah, businesses are shutting down left and right. You know, people losing their jobs, but hey, here's 1200 bucks. Like, oh, yeah, right. That makes it better. Um, so, I mean, it's we're using Band-Aids and false yeah. Not even like false promises, but just misguided commentary. And yeah. it, it's sad to watch. I just can't wait for, you know, things to improve and these people to slowly get replaced, maybe with someone that people could have more confidence in. But at this point, I'm just kind of like, how much worse could they really make it? I think it's an important thing to think about. It's like, it, and it's not even a, a right or left thing. It's like everyone's more middle than we think we are. Yeah, and so, like, I mean, I've said before, I voted both sides. So this is not a political stance. This is not like an anti either side. I've literally voted both parties, and you know, it's not a politics thing. It's just it's a logic party. I heard you talking about the Fed. No. It all comes back to <laughs> we started talking. Johnny. We were talking about the Fed. You got, no, it's not. It's because you think it's connected so much, Ami. It is trickle down. There's the puppeteers and the puppets, dude. dude should have fucking dropped the oil reserve six months ago. That's number one. Now he's just like, let's give it away, which is like, oh, hey, like terrible. Almost like a final nail in the coffin, you know, getting, I guess, away from the Fed back to even like the administration. We were talking about, you know, rising oil prices, food prices really causing unrest around the globe. And, you know, when oil was just in the dumps, we had our strategic reserves basically filled to the gills with this very cheap oil. And so that's one of the things, you know, like releasing oil from the strategic reserves and that could help slowly bring down the price. And those are strategic reserves, you know, supposed to help our country. 
And I saw a report where, you know, a third of the oil that's being released from the U.S. strategic reserves, I'm going to say that over and over, being sold to China and India. And I'm thinking, I get that keeping the global supply going helps keep global prices down. But then I go back to, hey, just Google what's the point or (laughs) behind U.S. strategic reserves. And it's not to profit off of buying oil very low, selling it very high to these nations. And then I even think of, you know, the little thing that we could all do is India has been consistently buying Russian oil because, you know, they don't have any restrictions to do so. And that helps, you know, fund, <laughs> that helps fund things that are going on over in Russia. But then it's almost like we're turning a blind eye to that and saying, well, hey, buy our oil too. It's just a lot of things that just have stacked up that makes me just kind of, and I'm 32 years old. I, I'm in by no way like, I guess, in-depth in all things, politics, economy, and all this stuff. But just from, I guess, an American standpoint, or just like a human being, I'm just kind of like, what What are we doing here? Right, if you like, take a step back and then just like go on Twitter, like Twitter is the problem too, is you just see all the extreme shit that happens, right? But you see it more and more and more. And now it's just like, I agree. You got to take a step back. We need a logic party in place. All right, on the options trading. <laughs> it comes down to investing versus trading, and you're more of a trader. And people say there's traders markets out there. But I didn't know what that meant, a trader's market. I mean, there's a trending market and a trading market where there's like a lot of volatility. Things usually when they trend up, it's not that much volatility. Options are cheap, so you can make money off smaller moves. But like now there's huge moves and options. Like the VIX is not where it should be for how crazy things are. So you're getting pretty good risk reward on trading around. Take a step back. The VIX. So the VIX is, 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 you're saying volatility. So that's just when people, a lot of people are buying, a lot of people are selling. And if that's happening, then the VIX is going to be higher. Why is everybody talking about VIX vapor rope? (laughs) Yeah. I kept thinking Michael Vick the whole time. This is not the football player, Michael Vick. This is something else. The VIX. It's literally a volatility index and it's just based on risk and fear. Like when people buy their hedges, they buy puts, they give more premium to it. So the VIX is worth more. Like when people buy a lot of options, they're hedging one way or another. So they're expecting a lot of volatility. So the VIX goes up and like, it's just acting weird. You would expect it to be higher. I mean, the big takeaway from this is so like high volatility, high VIX. And consider the VIX just meaning the word volatility. When the VIX is high, that means that there's like unusually high fear in the market. And you think the last six months, like everybody's talking about freaking recession, depression, all this stuff. Like fear should be at its high and, and the volatility index just does not reflect. It's like we've had the VIX higher in like normal 10% pullbacks, which it's just, it's crazy money. I just thought the whole time you were going to create that into a joke about Vic's paper room. So I was just waiting for you to do it, but you were serious. All right, let's get back to business, boys. Joe, I love what you were saying earlier about like how you could still participate in the market while reducing your risk profile while still having some upside, right? Some growth potential there. For me, I have a nine to five, right? And what I tried to do is weekly lottos and I just kept getting wrecked over and over again. So I realized, you know, that's not my game personally. I'm more of a beach stock guy. You know, I want to just set and forget and not really look at it. So I started playing some leaps, Tony, which you kind of helped me get into and understand different types of options. I was looking into like straddles. So I've been looking online just for various, you know, different tools to teach me, watched a bunch of YouTubes. I found this app called Olive Invest. That's really cool. That started to teach me, understand how to minimize the downside while still being able to have some upside. I'm still playing around. They have like a really cool sandbox that you can paper trade in, but Before I go like live with it, I still want to learn. I think other people want to learn too. 
besides just a traditional call and put, which hopefully most people know at this point from listening to the podcast, but dive in a little bit deeper and, and touch on some of these like straddles and these other strategies you've been using, Tony, to allow yourself to minimize how much you can lose. There's a lot of different strategies you can do with options. I guess I want to start out by talking about the easiest ones to do, like the ones that are least risk because there are things that you already own. Like I think a lot of people benefit in really you know, good market times from writing cover calls. And even in these like really volatile times, you can get really good premium on cover calls. And that's like really to your point of each stocks, like that's a good start for people who are looking to get in the options because, you know, as opposed to taking the bet, you're the one that's giving the bet out. So using the analogy of sports betting, right? If the Yankees who have won whatever, 65 games or something so far, they're crushing it. Like if they're playing some crap team, they're going to be at, in the sports terms, like a minus 800. Bringing this back to stocks, like looking at Amazon, it's at 115. You know, the chances that it gets to 200 by August is insane, right? And so you're probably paying nothing in terms of yeah, premium. Right. Whereas like, if you wanted to bet that by the end of August, it's going to be at 116, you're going to be paying a much higher premium. Exactly. Yeah, you'll pay way more there because it's just like the closer you get to the price and it's, it's, a, it's a multi-dimensional vector once again. All of life is. You got the price where the bet starts being right, which is the strike. And you have the price premium, like the cost of the option. And then you have the time that is left on that bet. So if you add those all, all together, like that's the price that you're paying. All right, Tony, we're trying to get away from the betting, right? I know anytime you put money into the market when you're just buying an individual stock, obviously that that is effectively a, a bet, right? You're taking the gamble on a particular stock. But, you know, as I get older, my risk profile is also shifting. So I'd like to mitigate that risk, you know, on the downside. If I want to like look at this more of an investment, I know that there's different ways to play options that can kind of mitigate some of that downside risk. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll start out by like the most basic thing, which we were just mentioning cover calls, where it's where you own a hundred shares outright and every option's worth the equivalent of 100 shares of that stock. So for example, you have like a hundred shares of Apple, you can write a call at 150, which is like, I'm going to own my shares, but I'm going to rent them out to you. You only get them once they go over 150. If I want you to have them, I can always buy my call back. So I'm basically shorting that price over 150, capping my upside, but you're paying me to do that. That's like, you know, if you think about like a hundred shares being basically one call, you can just replace that hundred shares for an, another like call that you buy instead of short. So like a good strategy that I do, like just going through that and like top first principles down. Like I like to, especially in times like these, look for things that are a year, a year and a half out. But with that amount of time, right? Like it's a multidimensional vector. You're going to have to find a way to cop, make that cost lower because like your, your downside is like a hundred percent on that option, right? It's just the way that could be crumbles. But if you consider it, like I could buy a hundred shares of Apple for 14,000, or I could buy an Apple leak for a thousand. And the only difference is like, I miss a little bit on the upside, but I miss 90% of the downside. If I effectively in my head think that one option is 100 shares. So I'll buy one option instead of 100 shares. And like I'm looking out like a year, year and a half. And at the same time, because there's so much time and there's so many earnings in between, God knows what news is going to happen. So like Amazon, like a perfect example, of it, like you were just saying, you know, it's at 115 or whatever. If you buy the August 200s, like that's so far away. Like people are shorting, people are selling calls like that. They, they'll, they'll like get money every week by having someone else bet 150, 160, 170, 180, 200. And they're taking in the money from those bets die. 
because they own the shares. Like you rent that out and those people get the exposure over those prices. And so if you look at like a leap, like if you want to take the upside without owning the shares, you could effectively just buy one leap for Amazon. Like I bought a couple 125s for September, 2023, when it was like sub 110. And then it went up a little bit. So I was like, okay, my leaps are up. I want to like reduce my exposure to that position because each of my leaps is a hundred shares of Amazon, right? Like I think I paid $12 for my leaps. Amazon would have been 11,000 to have the same exposure once the prices cross that strike minus the premium. So I shorted some 200s that far out because I'm like, I can get two, three bucks or whatever off my in initial cost. And I still have all the upside between 125 and 200. So 7,500 from 1,200 I put in minus what I just shorted. So it's like 900 to 7,500 by that time. Not saying that that will happen at all, but like that's the math profile of it. I always like to err on the side of capped downside mm -hmm. and you can reduce whatever on the upside as well. So like that, those are ways that people can make constructive strategies that can be the equivalent of a hundred shares, you know, in whatever amount you choose to do that strategy. But it's just something to think about, especially in like this time, like I'm looking out a little further for different plays that like might not be good right now, but in six to 12 months could be just like, you'll look back and say like, these are some interesting risk rewards back then. Yeah. I think I, we got to do a video of this because I'm, I'm such a visual learner. I understood about 70 to 12% of what, what you just said. So I definitely need to see a video of this. And well, that's why I, I did like, I got to show you this app at some point too, this Olive app. It, it like does a really good job of visualizing this. We should definitely do like a YouTube where they really explain this because I think I need visualizations for sure. Yeah. This analogy I was thinking about is almost like owning a duplex where you're like, you buy the duplex, right? But then you're also kind of getting paid to someone, you're renting out the other side of the duplex. So you're getting paid while you're paying off the mortgage in a sense. So you're yeah. also getting money inflows from owning and getting the rent from these other individuals. But at the same time, you're paying, I don't know if that's the best analogy, but that's kind of- yeah, it's, it's a good analogy. Like with owning the shares, you own the shares. There's no mortgage. Like if you have a leap, it's like you have, you know, like someone's letting you borrow it for X amount of time. So it's like, it, it, it could be seen as that. Avi, I'll let you slide. Joey, do you do any options at all? I know you're more of an investor, but I don't know if you touch uh, Just here and there. So, you know, years ago, I used to use the very simple process of selling puts. And the one I would always be trading, this was back in, might've been like 2016, 2017, 2018, I would be selling puts on Tesla. And, um, I mean, it was an easy way to just, you know, generate this income. I did the same thing with like Panera, Chipotle, you know, these different, different stocks that just made sense and the valuations weren't too absurd. Now Tesla, that, that was a different beast when it comes to the valuation front since, you know, that's back when they were losing money, but it was just this highly volatile name that I wanted to own it under a certain price anyways. So just selling the put, I was like, I'd want to buy it here anyways. So it makes sense. Um, and I don't think any of those ever fell to the actual strike price. So I was just generating that income. So I need to hop in, Joey, that what you said there is the most crucial part about all of this. I want to own it at that price. So I'm okay collecting money until it gets there. Exactly. Think that it's just like an only a strategy where like, oh, I have shares, I might as well do this. But like you've seen stocks can go down 50 to 70%. But if that's the price that you had a limit buy for anyway, might as well do your strategy. Well, and that was, that was like my thinking back then. And it's another thing I need to look into now, just because I haven't done that in a long time and stocks are at such low levels that, and there's so many at such attractive valuations that I would want to own a little bit lower. So, you know, 
I do think I need to be more active on that front. But yeah, I, I like to keep it very simple. You know, the old acronym KISS, keep it simple, stupid. It's one of those uh-huh. where when you're talking about calls and puts and all this stuff, you've got, you got to figure out the time constraints, the implied volatility, all these other factors that I really don't want to, I guess, take all the time to educate myself on that because, you know, I have a strategy that I I'm enjoy and I think I'm kind of good at. So I want to stick to what I know. But again, it's one of those where, you know, back at this time, I was, you know, I wanted my position on Tesla. I wanted my position on these certain stocks, but I didn't want them where they were. So I'd always take the approach. Well, if it fell to this, I would definitely be buying. So say back then Tesla was at, I don't know, 250 and I put it at like 200, you know, you're collecting 12 bucks on that. I was like, well, at at that point, you know, if it fell to 188, I'd definitely be buying anyways. So it was one of those just very easy strategies for me. And I think that's actually where Tesla was back then when I was doing these. But but no, I guess my answer would be I'm not that active. I I used to do a little bit of it, but it is something I I need to look more into just especially like Tony was saying, you know, just to generate that extra income. Yeah, I totally see that, Joey. And like there's another, I think, part of it that kind of gets pushed away in the weeds of the the volatility and the risks associated. This notion of people think it's like very risky and, and like super difficult to like get your head around. But there's also this idea of like, let's say the markets crash 50% more. Let's say right now you're 100% invested. If you take that 100% sell it all and figure out like an optimal strategy for the next year and a half or so with 15% to 20% of your cash that ends up giving you the same result if these prices of these stocks go to X price, that's something to be said for maybe that's less risky actually than, than what people are doing now. We got to start doing YouTube. So I'll probably hit the gym to make sure I look all fresh. But Saturday here now, you want to go to the beach. I also want to go to the beach. Joey, I know it's raining where you are, so you'll be inside all day. But <laughs> we got a, a decent uh, week here of, of earnings coming up on Tuesday. We got PepsiCo. Wednesday, we got Delta before the open. Thursday and Friday, starting to get into some other financials. We got Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan. And then Friday, United Health Group. We actually probably should have talked about that. They, they've been ripping recently. That's going to be before the open with Wells Fargo, Citibank, Progressive Insurance, BlackRock, Tony, your favorite, <laughs> and PNC, US Bank Corp, BNY Mellon, and State Street. So a lot of financials this week. I don't know if you've seen any trends, either of you guys, when earnings come out for financials. I think you're going to just see that be more a result of like where Fed and rates go. Like I, I have no idea how their earnings are going to play right now because it's going to be not just about what they've done for the last three months, more about their guide for where everything's going to go. It's funny. Banks are the ones that are supposed to be benefiting the most from rising rates. And I think like, you know, every time we've seen these subtle rate hikes, they're like, oh, financials are going to benefit greatly from this, but they haven't performed all that well. So I think people really look into the JP Morgan report for quotes from Jamie Dimon because he's, I mean, I think he's the most knowledgeable person, you know, in the finance industry than anybody at the Fed, anybody, you know, in any administration, like Uncle Jamie knows more than all of them combined, it seems like. So I think I'm most interested to hear commentary from him. But yeah, the the big banks always kind of kick off earnings season. And I know it feels like it, it just wrapped up, you know, a month or two ago because, you know, the big tech names usually follow, you know, the month after the bank. So I'd look for the commentary regarding, you know, the overall stability of the economy. Look for, you know, any commentary on yeah. thinks about like the recession and, you know, he probably thinks we're already in one like a lot of us would do. So I think that's the most important to come from this. No one is all knowing. No one knows everything. So I, I like to 
pinpoint what you want to hear from someone or like, you know, where they've actually been accurate in the past and take some of that. But also, you know, Jamie Dimon is not a specialist in crypto, blockchain, Web3, all that. So when he was essentially crapping on it for the longest time, I'd defer to someone that, you know, knows these industries a little bit better than he would. So like a Mark Andreessen, like we talked about before, or these other guys that have been you know, very successful in certain areas of technology that are, you know, spearheading the next pillars of, of technology and all that. So, yeah, it's almost like, you know, know someone's strengths when you're asking their opinion. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you're playing a certain sport, you want to learn a baseball swing from someone that's played baseball, not a professional basketball player. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this show up. Huge shout out again to StockTwits. Check us out at StockTwits.com. Join us on the conversation. Tony, you're smiling over there. Give everyone pound nation a nice little send off for the weekend here i got two words for you solara camera we'll see you guys here back next week have a great week everyone and remember to pound that table hey the best commercial of all time was the 1-800 collect back when that was a thing it is this guy and he's like calling collect to his father-in-law he's like first name john last name we had a baby pizza boy i'm gonna have a call from john we had a baby pizza boy he's like sorry wrong number and he hangs up looks at his wife and she's like who's that he's like it was john he had a baby it's a boy Shawty sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce with the rice. I just peel off with the